honk, rattle, 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 crash, beep, beep. It's the National Parks this week on Why Do You Know That? Welcome to Why Do You Know That? The party podcast that wants to know why you know so much about a very specific topic. I'm Nadia Osman. I'm Steve Smaga. Hi, Steve. Hi, Nadia. Oh, that's my collective mood right now. And this episode will be coming out after the election, but... And it's been figured out and is being figured out as we speak. Wow, just what a... It's a lot to process. We are mani- we're manifesting good vibes into the world right now. We're collectively yeah. pulling all of our crystals and our tarot cards, and we're just saying, you know what? We're going to make sure that this thing goes off without a hitch mm-hmm. and in the favor of righteousness? No, no, that, that could be interpreted in a wrong way. Scratch that. No, I don't, don't think anybody no. who's like listened to 74 episodes of us are going to be like, <laughs> Nadia used the word righteousness. Oh no, she's QAnon. <laughs> Surprise twist, we're QAnon. <laughs> that's the la- that's that's the final choice of uh, the year 2020. It wasn't the murder hornets are actually coming down Christmas Eve to kill us all. It wasn't, uh, you know, something about COVID mutating. It was us being QAnon. Are the murder hornets still... I feel they kind of pop up from time to time as like a general concept of 2020 of like, oh, and the murder hornets, but like, are they just are they just slow to get here or are they... Are, They're are taking they, their time. They're yeah, taking their scenic Are they terrorizing route? other people? I just feel like you only hear of murder hornets in the idea of like... And here's another horrible thing of the year, but like, I don't have, I don't know. Here's the thing. I'm wondering if the murder hornets live, you know, if they found like a little hole somewhere in nature, perhaps a national park, if maybe. you will. Yes, maybe. That's one of my worst segues. <laughs> you were, you know what? You, I could tell that you knew where the segue was coming and you just... Pedal to the metal wanting to get there and be do be do. And I get it. Well, I'm excited to talk about our topic today. So let me bring in our wonderful guest. He is a TV writer for Warrior Nut on Netflix. Please welcome Brendan Gallagher. Hey, everybody. A thrilled to be Hi. here. I was, I was on mute because I was laughing during the riffs. So good. <laughs> oh, Murder Hornets riff. Then we oh, are you're too kind. We're off to a good start. <laughs> And now I mute for the rest of it. Bye. Oh, no, no, no. Come back. You're just going to leave me out here? Oh, no. He's just moving his mouth. Steve, we can't hear you. Oh, uh, he looks like a like a messed up Muppet. <laughs> Which one? Uh, uh, Gonzo. Okay. I, I mean. I can't really yeah. think of like, that was really a trap for you that had no good answer. Like, I can't no. think of a Muppet where I was going to be like, oh, cool. Thanks. Janice? Janice? Janice seems cool. Sexiest Muppet is Janice. Yeah. That's true. Swedish Chef is like not insulting. It's like, oh, I'm like a guy with a mustache, you know? But I think other than... Well, Animal's kind of flattering because it's like an attitude, you know? Yes. But everything else, I... Anybody in the band is good. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, the one, the green guy who's kind of got that old, like shaggy groupie kind of vibe. Yes. Uh, and Doctor Rolf something. is pretty good. Yeah. 
Dr. T? I think Dr. It's Dr. Teeth T. and the Dr. electric Teeth. mayhem. Overall, Same. we're saying that Dr. Teeth and the members of the of Electric Mayhem, which include Animal and Janice, are the are the best are the best ones to be. Yes. Yeah. So I, I mean, apologize. who wants to be Rolf? Can you imagine, like, what? What? Like, imagine if I were like, you're just like Rolf. What does that even mean? <laughs> you play piano. You. Uh, yeah. What else? Play piano. Give me you- one more. <laughs> Uh, uh, fl- uh, big ears, big floppy ears. Great. I know exactly. Um, but sorry, I sorry, y'all, feel- the Rolf fans out there. And I like Fozzie, but I also feel like uh, Fozzie could could use a little. I don't know. He he. Fozzie's he- fine, but yeah. if you would have called me Fozzie, I would have been like, okay, Ooh. what particularly made you think it would have given me a complex. I would have like smiled and been like, okay, Fozzie. And then spent the rest of my day being like, why? What about Fozzie? Why? Comedians calling other comedians Fozzie feels easy. You know? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not like it's, it's the go-to and it's just like, yeah, I, I get it. I, I, Miss Piggy's great, but she's also kind of problematic. And that's the that's the problem with calling somebody Miss Piggy is it's like, mm, is she uh, is she cool or is she like just legitimately beating the shit out of people, including the guy that she claims to be in love with? Like, it just seems like a very unhealthy relationship between her and Kermit. I know that's probably very controversial. Did you guys ever see the erotic figurines of Kermit and Miss Piggy that some guy made and was putting up on Twitter a while back? No, please. They're leave. amazing. I have to, I'll Google. dig for them. Yeah, they should, they should come up pretty quick. Oh, they're okay. really good. Oh, it's, oh, wow. Um, yeah. yeah. Like, so graphic. Jeez. <laughs> oh, that's pretty graphic. Steve will usually go into detail. I mean, oh, I don't even know how much. I mean, there's um. Honestly, my first thought is just Miss Piggy's breasts are too big. <laughs> if I saw some of these moves in a porn, I would blush. You know, like it's not just porn; it's like very serious porn. Porn that makes you reflect on what led you to click on that particular porn. I mean, I do love the BDSM ones. There's one where Miss Piggy is um in a in a leather kind of corset underwear number and Kermit is in a full rubber, like American horror story, like rubber man suit, um, except with exposed buttocks and she is um, preparing to spank him. And I do like that one. That seems to be the only one I can find where Kermit is totally covered in vinyl. (laughs) Oh, Uh, and then there is one where he's, um, Preparing to uh, eat Miss Piggy's um, ass, I guess, is the most easiest way to say that. the technically correct term. Yeah, I guess, like, uh, yeah, scientifically, uh, he's preparing to um, eat some some ass. But you know what? (laughs) Miss Piggy is in charge. Good for... She seems to be... They seem to be enjoying these consensual moments. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, thank you, Brendan, for for introducing. Let me really quick. We can we can get back on topic, but let me real quick change my desktop wallpaper. Um, <laughs> my other area of expertise, you know. The, the, you know, if I ever come back, 
So yeah. today you're not here, unfortunately, to talk about Muppet porn, but to talk, not unfortunately, very fortunately, to talk about the history of the U.S. National Park System. Brendan Almost White. like a, a different, t- oh, sorry, I was going to say no, no, a, no, different, do it, do it. a different type of devil's tower. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Worth it. Worth oh. it to interrupt the intro. No, we're going to have fun today. This is good. <laughs> I can feel it. Uh, all right. So history of the national parks, Brandon, why do you know that? Well, you know, um, this is going to get very philosophical very quickly. So you know, whenever I talk, we're out here in LA, I think all three of us, right? Yes. And whenever people talk to me about like, what's the most important thing moving to Los Angeles, I always tell them, you know, find something that you love to do outside of show business because show business is not going to bring you joy all the time. In fact, it'll bring you joy very infrequently. And for me, uh, that was national parks and camping. Um, I was a boy scout when I was younger, which we can get into that. It's a very fraught thing to say now. Um, but I've always had a love of camping and the East coast where I'm from, I'm from Pennsylvania. It does just doesn't have the number of parks. So I grew up as a boy scout going to Shenandoah national park, Gettysburg national battlefield, Valley forge battlefield and Acadia national park. And um, once I got out here, I was like, wow, I can go to all the parks I've heard about my whole life. And so when I first moved out here before I met my wife, I would just get my tent and jump in a car and go to Joshua Tree, Yosemite, or Death Valley. And then after I met her, we've gone to more parks together. And um, that's kind of been my zen to survive in show business out here to just get out and go into nature. And so that's kind of where my love of parks come from. And then uh, my mother was actually a parks and recreation major in college. So I think she instilled that in me from a young age. Oh, wow. Uh, I one fully agree. If you are trying to do anything in showbiz, you must, 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 must have outside interests. Do not be one of those actors that becomes like all they talk about is acting. So then every interview is about acting. Looking at you, Jeremy Strong, I love you. But I, w- I want to know more about Jim Strong, not just what you're doing on Succession to be, uh, 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 shit, what's his character's name? Um, the, the, the second one, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> the second Roy, <laughs> Kendall, Kendall Roy, Kendall Roy. Um, point is, yeah, uh, for me, nature is definitely that and uh, cooking. And for Steve, well, Steve, I, are you running as much as you were? No, I mean, I just started again. I realized that this would be my first year not doing like a, a an event like a marathon or anything. And so I just bought a medal that says like social distance run on it. And I'm just making my own half marathon that I started training for today. And I'm going to run it on December 31st just so that... I can put another medal on my little wall and it's relevant because it has people running in, in masks on. Congratulations. I love so, that. And it's that. shaped like it's shaped like the virus. Like you know that picture <laughs> they always show with like all little like I don't know, phalanges, and we're all supposed to be like, yes. Yeah, that's the coronavirus. That's the virus. It looks just like that. Yeah. Oh. Now I'm so Run away if you see I'm one scared. of those at Ralph's. Yeah. Hey, I know that guy. Hey, As opposed you, to the other viruses. <laughs> Um, you love that you bought a medal for yourself. <laughs> yeah, well, I was like, I want, I don't want to do this without, like, I want to get a medal. Um, sure. So, yeah, I bought the medal. I, I guess I reverse engineered. I bought the medal and then planned 
<laughs> running and training around that. And then it'll just my own be my own personal like, hey, I'm doing this today. Anyone want to... I don't know. Maybe I'll run to the beach or something. I don't know. Motivation's so hard with fitness right now. Like, yeah, there's all the time in the world and zero time. And what is time? But a mm-hmm. construct that we've created. Uh, speaking of time, so yes, speaking of time. <laughs> dot dot dot. <laughs> Continue. Speaking of time, the best segues. Uh, it, I'm loving it. It is money. Uh, no. Uh, so, <laughs> and sometimes par- <laughs> it costs money to go to a national park. <laughs> well, wow, that's that's a good seg it. because everyone should get the America the Beautiful Pass for national parks. Eighty dollars a year, free admission into national parks, national forests, and Bureau of Land Management is already free, but it's just good to have one for that stuff too. And national monuments. So, I recommend getting one of those every year and then you'll force yourself to go to parks because you'd be like fuck i spent 80 bucks on this i better make use of it yeah yeah a lot of our listeners probably have annual passes at disneyland this is way cheaper and better and more breathtaking uh steve you recently went to both zion and bryce canyon i believe Um, on the the infamous road trip where'd you start uh michigan okay i was i was trying to picture what the devil's tower to Zion path with you. That makes sense. I went up through the upper peninsula and then across Wisconsin. And so, yeah, so we drove across uh, South Dakota, hit up Deadwood, Devil's Tower, and then down through Wyoming um, in the dark. It's a beautiful, weird country we have. I'll just say that. Like, it's so (laughs) weird that, like, the North Dakota... Going across or South Dakota, it was like, oh, cool. The Black Hills are coming up. There's parks and stuff like that. But the lower, like, Nebraska middle route, there's nothing. Just straight up No, no, that's not the path. I've driven across country twice, and I've done the southern route through Texas and the northern route, basically what you're describing, but not cutting down until... uh, So from the Black Hills, we did Yellowstone into the Grand Teton down Mm. through Salt Lake and back which is probably more scenic, but, you know, takes another several days. Um, But for me, the Black Hills are like the area of the country I wish had more national parks because I think Custer State Park should be a national park because it's right near Mm -hmm. um, Mount Rushmore and in my view, much more impressive, like lots of bison and like good hills and stuff. And also, I think Crazy Horse uh, Monument should be something more people see, which is a massive statue of Crazy Horse that's near Mount Rushmore, but obviously isn't a national park because Indian reservations um, are, or Native American reservations are their own country, uh, sovereignty. So that you can't have national park land, technically speaking there, but in some parks, portions of the reservation are like predate. And so they let it be a part of it. But for example, during COVID, we went to uh, Glacier and part like a third of Glacier is in a reservation and we couldn't go on because reasonably, if you were a sovereign nation inside the United States, would not allow Americans to spread their COVID to your beautiful country. So uh, you can't go into any uh, reservation land right now. Which, yeah, makes total sense. I have been to uh, Crazy Horse years ago, which is very 
interesting and it, it's it's super cool it's super cool and it's also like a little bit overwhelming when you look at it and and look at what it's supposed to be when it's done and be like that's gonna take for fucking ever like my great great grandkids won't even see crazy horse monument finished it, it's sort of a humbling experience to yeah and look at it and be like yeah this trajectory of what they're trying to do is going to be here's an endeavor that's going to take longer than my lifetime which yeah. if you were alive in the middle ages, you would see that all the time with like cathedrals and stuff. We don't really have that anymore. So I found that to be, I was there pretty sure, I mean, not right after Dakota Access Pipeline, but it was still kind of going on because this was a couple of years ago and very humbling and kind of, I hesitate to say spiritual because I'm an atheist, but at least moving experience being there. You know, they do, uh, on the uh, reservation near the statues, they have basically a, university that they've built that is dedicated to sort of like Native American history, archaeology, uh, sociology, what have you. And they'll do, you know, various uh, activities. So they had, you know, dancers and musicians. And it was just a huge party that we just happened to be there the day that they did it. And, you know, there's uh, museum docents. And it's just really an amazing uh, setup that they have there that really helps you understand, you know, a, a lot of about Native American culture, but also, you know, reflect on the genocides that we did to them. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You know, going from uh, Muppet sex to genocide in 10 minutes. That's the Brendan Gallagher promise. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting that you brought up the cathedral thing because there was this quote I found from uh, David Barna, who's the National Park Service Chief of Public Affairs, who said, Americans developed a national pride of the natural wonders in this nation, and they believed that they rivaled the great castles and cathedrals of Europe. And I wanted to see if you guys agree, because I kind of do. I've been to, let's see, going back in my lifetime, I've been to Yosemite, Grand Canyon, Bryce, Zion, uh... I've been outside of a few, but I like, haven't gone in. Like I've been near Haleakala, uh, which is a national park in uh, Maui. Uh, I've been to uh, Joshua Tree. I've been in the Sequoias and when you and the Redwoods. And when you are in these places, as you said, even if you are not religious, it is it is moving. It is stirring. Perhaps that's the right word. It's stirring and it like makes you kind of believe in the awe and wonder of nature in the same way that I think a cathedral, like something like the Notre Dame, is meant to inspire awe and a belief in God. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, especially like Devil's Tower. I was just there and just seeing like this uh, earth-made monument in the middle of, you know, the hills it, and it just it's it's so yeah i don't really have anything <laughs> yeah, i don't really have anything I, no, I, smart I, to say <laughs> i agree too and I'm, I'm gonna butcher something uh but vaguely remember this from some of my reading on the parks it talked about the idea of like awe and we use the word awesome all the time just to mean like very good but it's actually you know biblically speaking it's sort of oh man this is so vast or so uh, powerful that I can't conceive it and my brain is short-circuited. I'm in awe. I'm just slack-jawed, right? And the Grand Canyon, that is an experience of awe because you're like, your brain is like, this must be a painting I'm looking at. It's so big and colorful. It must be flat. It must yeah. be a landscape. And you're like, no, I'm looking at such a vast 
hole in the ground that my brain can't process without making me think it's something different because that would like overwhelm me. And, you know, the European settlers, like other than the Alps, they didn't have these things. So like if you're coming across the country and you see the Rocky Mountains or you see the Grand Canyon or you see Death Valley and like thinking like, okay, I have to now cross this to get to wherever I'm going, your brain would just short circuit and not be able to process it. Or uh, seeing a sequoia tree, like standing under General Sherman, I encourage like everyone to like Google this tree uh, and just in a picture of someone standing under it because it just plays a trick on your mind because it's bigger than any tree you've ever seen. So your sense of scale, a person versus a tree uh, will just like short circuit your brain. Yeah, that tree is that tree is honking huge. That is a big, a big old tree. Uh, you heard it here first. I... Honking huge. <laughs> and I know it's so. It sounds so crazy to be like, "Wow, I want to go see the big fucking tree." But like, yeah. when you get to the tree, you're like, "Shit, yeah, this for sure, I need yeah. to be in oh, yeah. front of it. I need yeah. to stand at a distance. I need to stand as far away as I can and see if I can see the top. And you'll just stare at the tree from different <laughs> vantages." For like an hour. You bring up a good point about the idea of uh, American settlers in the, I'm, I'm going to call it, the, the I'm going to make a jack-off motion when I say manifest destiny, because I don't know that that was the right way to go about things in this country. That said, it happened. So settlers crossed over, and you think about playing something like Oregon Trail as a kid, and it's just supposed to teach you like, yeah, here's how you get from Missouri to Oregon. But you don't, they don't take into account like, hey, the Rocky Mountains are massive and super cold and extremely high. And now you have to figure out, you don't have a, like a, a, there's no cartographer there. There's no mountaineer there to be like, let me show you the way and careful. The altitude is very high up here. Like there was none of that. So think that people willingly risked everything to try to cross into new territory still boggles my mind. I, I think that's absolutely true. And, you know, for me, uh, I'm a, as you know, from Twitter, Nadia, I'm a very political person, you know, I'm very into being a socialist. And I think that national parks, like bring up a lot of the political challenges, good and ill of our country, you know, because they are yes. a symbol, they are a symbol of genocide. I mean, Yosemite is named for the native people that we displaced to build it. Right. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, but at the same time, they're a place where, we recognize history and celebrate history and where indigenous people can, you know, have a space to share their stories. And it's also sort of a gesture to what socialism we could have in America, because it is a functionally like a socialist system within a capitalist society. But then you go to the parks and there's all these private concessioners and Every Republican administra administration, they have, oh, this electrical company wants to build, like, just a little mine or a little satellite right off the edge of the Grand Canyon. You won't even see it. And I feel like every, you know, Obama added two parks. Trump drastic, really destroyed two monuments and cut the space of another monument. And so it's sort of a fulcrum of American life that is always, like, really political. And I'm always sort of paying attention to when there's a new regime that comes in. Yes. Uh, it is weird how much something that over 140 years ago was like just an idea that was pitched. It was just like, I'm just spitballing here. What if we make you uh, Yellowstone 
this like whole area here. Well, what if we just made that like uh like the U.S. owns it, like the government, and then uh, people could just uh, come by whenever they want to see it. It's so pretty. Everybody, look at this geyser shooting off. And I feel like since then, somehow it has become an insanely politicized thing. When it is, it is just it's land. It's it's preserved land that serves as a a vein of tourism in many of these states. It serves as a way to g- get people to understand what their country looks like. It's a way to help wildlife. Uh, it's th- there's so many good things about it. I just don't understand why you would be like, "Hey, you know what we should do? We should plug up that geyser and put a condo there." Like, who the hell wants that? I want to yeah. see the geyser shoot off. You can put a condo anywhere. Yes. There's so many places. Put a condo just like, I don't know, in the middle of Nebraska, somewhere, like in a cornfield where there's just not, not a national park. Well, you know, when I try to explain, I, I, I'm from rural Pennsylvania, so like a lot of my time in writers' rooms and on Twitter is spent like explaining Trump voters to people that aren't from an area like that. Sure. And I always kind of point to uh, the occupation of the Malheur Wildlife Refuge in Idaho, uh, the Bundys, which I'm sure people like probably remember a little bit. Uh, I follow that really closely because I thought it was really a fascinating like look at the Republican mindset because you know the sense of public land in the West and you know in the middle of the country for many people is you know the nature is there for us to develop and use, and that's like what to be an American means. I should have the right to cut down trees to extract resources. And a lot of like evangelical Christians believe that's biblically backed up that like God gave us and, and Mormons, you know, they gave us mm-hmm. this land of plenty and we get to basically rape and pillage it until it's gone because that's our divine right, which is what manifest destiny is like about. Right. And then there's this other group of people, you know, the Bureau of land management and the national park system own 70% of the land West of the Mississippi. Uh, mm-hmm. You can check me on that. It's either two thirds to seventy percent. Maybe it's even eighty, but it's most of the land. And you know, their view is all Americans own this land, and anything that is done to it that changes its fundamental use as an ecosystem, as a place to enjoy, is wrong. And so that sort of fight to me is sort of central to what America is. And I think that's why, like. I have both like romantic and pragmatic attachment to the parks because I think it's like a metaphor for ha- our future. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I mean, si- I'm, I'm getting off track a little here, but something that has always boggled my mind is the idea of uh, God has given us this land to, uh, as you said, rape and pillage versus God has given us this land to protect and to serve right. it which is a, I know that there are environmentalist evangelicals out there, and I kind of fully support that view. Like, if you're going to take an evangelical stand on something, I feel like that's the one to take, which is, yeah, if, if, if you believe in God and God created all of this, why would you go around mucking up God's best work? You know, think right. about, so the- you know, the t- yes, yes, go on. The, just the idea of stewardship, like as a Christian idea versus the idea of ownership, I yes. think is interesting. And like a little book plug, there's plenty of great books in the national parks, but one of my favorites is called Mountains Without Handrails. And it's very short. I forget who the author is. We can look it up after. But, uh, you know, he, he sort of talks about 
even in how you use parks, we think about how your use affects others. So for example, some trails in a park should have handrails so that uh, people with a disability or people who are older can see the beauty. So for example, big tree should have handrails so everyone uh-huh. can see it. Sure. But we should also have trails with no handrails so people can experience nature untouched. Mm. And so anything, you know, a democratic, a good democratic like parks uh, head or Department of Interior head would say anything that, that impacts someone else's experience shouldn't be in a park. So for example, bird watching is okay and canoeing is okay, but like motor boating or having a drone is not okay because the sound of the drone or the movement of the drone could impact my enjoyment of being in a tent in backcountry. Or the sound of my ATV could distract from my enjoyment of bird watching. And How I are we going to get fucked like, up at the lake, brah? Right. Well, and you can get really <laughs> drunk at the national park at night and you can like play music on your guitar, but like don't blast, you know, uh, your, your pill, uh, you know, I don't know. Like people love to like, uh, People love to do, I've noticed lately, the Zoomers, and I hate to be old guy, but they love to put a Bluetooth speaker in their backpack with no headphones in, walking on the trail. And I'm like, this is literally antithetical to like what the point of being out here is, you know? It's, it, it, is, um, it is fascinating to me the way people want to treat this land or not treat this land, uh, whether that is the hype, I'm going to call it hyper individualistic aspect, which is, yeah, I'm going to blast a radio out of my pants and I'm going to hike this trail because I deserve to be here. And I like to listen to music real fucking loud when I'm hiking in all of this natural beauty. And then there's the person who goes, Mm, how about not that? Let's, let's think of how everybody, the most people can enjoy the park. Um, I think that that's maybe more of what uh, naturalist John Muir was going for. He was like, he's one of the big people that definitely all of his writings pushed for the national parks to become a thing. And because of that, that led to, uh, I think it was Abraham Lincoln put Yosemite under California protection during the Civil War. And then Grant made Yellowstone the first national park. And then we get to Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah, that's all very complicated. And I always get it mixed up because um, some presidents like designate it as land set aside. And then I think Teddy Roosevelt officially made like the park system. So like prior to him, Yosemite and Yellowstone were like, they were national parks, but not technically because the NPS hadn't been established until Roosevelt. And I've read through this like in 10 different ways in 10 different books. So I'll defer to Wikipedia or wherever. But um, I think Muir is like a super interesting figure. Um, There was recently an essay canceling him because he was a eugenicist, which I think is like important to mention. But like also, I did not know that most, but you know, it's one of those things that's really challenging. And obviously Rose, Teddy Roosevelt was a racist, right? I think that's like unassailably true. Every president is a racist. Uh, Maybe not Obama, Obama, but uh, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, look, even FDR was, I think, inarguably like our best president in terms of achievements. And he interned the Japanese. So I think like you have to weigh those things. And this isn't me saying everybody's great, but it's like, you know, I, that has come to light recently because I think John Muir kind of is the figure of the Sierra Club. His statues are everywhere. And like, I do think his view on 
conservation was super important, but I think just like anybody from the past era, you did, you know, he did share some of the eugenic views that a lot of people of his day shared. And, and the thing that I'm always careful to say in these instances is like, he was about as racist as most white dudes in that era were racist. He's not spectacularly racist for his era. And I mm-hmm. think that's important like to note when you talk about these things, whereas like Henry Ford, for example, you're like, okay, well, he was a notorious, like he led the charge of anti-Semitism yeah. in that era and actively made it worse. Yeah, or Charles Lindbergh, you know? And- yeah, he had that parking sign that was like, no Jews allowed. Like, Jesus. Right, um, and I think like these just are important blatant, distinctions to make. Blatant, yeah. blatant anti-Semitism. Well, I'm from, I, I grew up outside of Detroit and I can tell you what we learned about Henry Ford in Michigan. <laughs> we learned- Please. Henry Ford was a grand old man. He had four wheels and an old tin can. He put it all together and the darn thing ran. Henry Ford was a grand old man. Hong Kong, rattle, 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 crash, beep, beep. Hong Kong, rattle, 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 crash, beep, beep. Hong Kong. We learned that. We learned Model T and we learned assembly line. So so we got more of the broader strokes than like anything evil about Henry Ford, who, by the way, look it up. He looks like Voldemort. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I look, we're, we're all artists. And so I think this is something we're used to doing, like weighing one's artistic contribution against their personal failings. And I think you should do the same thing with Ford. Uh, sorry, not with Ford, with uh, John Muir and with uh, Roosevelt. But I think that doesn't diminish that they achieved something that no other nation did and every other nation copied after they achieved it. And I think that we should still celebrate that. And I think that it's fair to, you know, contextualize it, but I don't think that diminishes the importance of the accomplishment. Yeah. I had a, I I was like, Ooh, when I found out that Australia created the world's second national park in 1879. And again, a country with a vast amount of natural wonder, uh, amazing sights, stuff that truly will make your jaw drop. Uh, but I, I thought to myself, oh, were we actually the leaders in something generally thought of as good? That's that's a first for yeah, America to actually come up with a good idea. <laughs> I know. Well, and, and then it's like what that and jazz and the musical. Everyone jokes. Those Base- are like the three things. Baseball. I'm iffy on baseball, but I'll defer to you guys on that. <laughs> I um, don't yeah. care for baseball. I like basketball. I appreciate baseball and baseball fans. And I say, good for you guys. I'll, I'll sit here and eat some nachos and go, yeah, ball. But I do want to say on the topic of other countries, uh, traveling abroad, you'll see a lot of UNESCO World Heritage Sites, which we don't really have any because nothing here is over 200 years old. There might be one in the U.S., but they are fucking awesome like the care and the standards they have to meet we went to uh, the pyramids outside of mexico city our unesco heritage site and if you ever get a chance they are phenomenal and we went to a few uh, my wife and i honeymooned in japan and we went to a few heritage sites there but one we stayed in uh, is called shirakawa go and it was a thatched set of thatched cabins that were like an agrarian society And they had been pretty much untouched since the feudal era when they were discovered in 1880. And they just kept it as is. And so you can literally like reserve a room in one of the huts like you would a hotel 
and sleep in the valley there. And, you know, they you make dinner and they cook it in the pot that they used back when. And we did that. And that was amazing. And, you know, so I guess all that is to say, we did come up with national parks, but very quickly other countries, I think, have improved upon the concept in some ways. Yeah. The national park system encompasses 421 national park sites in the U.S., 800, a little, not 840, 84 million acres. I was going to say 840 million acres. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> have you been to any of the parks in, say, Puerto Rico, the Virgin Islands, Guam, American Samoa, any of the stuff that's like really off the beaten path, as it were? No, unfortunately not. I've been to most of the parks in the lower 48, but I've not been to any in uh, other, you know, non-mainland areas. And the big bucket list for me that I, every time we go to the parks, we always meet some old couple, we chat up and they tell us about their trip to the Alaskan parks. Cause like Mm -hmm. to do that right, my understanding is you need like $10,000 and you basically need to hire, uh, you're flying into Anchorage or Juneau then you're hiring a like puddle jumper, you know, boat plane to take you places between the parks because you can't get to all of them easily. So that's like a bucket list when our ship comes in kind of trip that we want to do someday. And Claire, my wife, has been to the Hawaiian parks, but I haven't been yet. Uh, I mean, Hawaii is wonderful in general, but uh, seeing a... I have still not done the volcano stuff. I would like to go to the Big Island or Hawaii Island and go to Mauna Loa and see that stuff up close and personal Um, because Haleakala is huge. It's hard to get to. It's definitely like part of the reason we didn't end up going is because in order to hike it, we would have had to been like either right there day of, which wasn't going to happen or wake up very, very early in order to drive the length to get there, to park outside, to walk up because you want to see it at sunrise or sunset really, because that's like when it's, it's most majestic. Um, and there was just one morning where I woke up hungover and went like, well, we're not doing this. We're going to do <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, that's like <laughs> oh, half, of go- half of going to parks is like having this grand plan for sunrise somewhere and then getting too drunk in the lodge to like go. I think that's sort of a, a key experience. But while we're on the island topic, I did want to bring up, uh, I will plug visiting Cuba as long as that's still possible. And it should be still possible if... Uh, I know we're recording this post-election. If polls hold, hopefully you can still go to Mm -hmm. Cuba. Um, Claire and I went, I think, two years ago now, and uh, we went to Binales, which is a national park in Cuba geared around tobacco production. And so they pick you up in Havana. They drive you in like a classic car, because all the cars are classic cars there, because they're not allowed to have our cars because of the embargo. Mm -hmm. And you go to this park, and a dude like on horseback you follow him in and he takes you to a farmer's house the farmer like rolls a cigar in front of you his wife makes you lunch you smoke the cigar with the farmer you buy a few cigars like as a thank you and then like an ox cart pulls you out of the farm area and back to your car it was fucking awesome and cuba your money goes a long way as you would imagine i think it was like a hundred bucks for both of us for the whole day with a guide for the whole day so if uh, you get a chance, and I know everyone says you're not allowed to go to Cuba, that's not true. You have to go under the designation support of the Cuban people. And all that means is you have to stay in an Airbnb instead of a resort, um, which is fine by us, you know. Um, we stayed in the home of, a, they call them Casa Particulares, which is basically an Airbnb. 
And uh, we stayed in the house of a woman who was clearly like connected to the government and her phone would like ring all night and she would have like chit chats about, you know, different people in the neighborhood and stuff. And it was very, I had a very Cuban experience, I'll say. Wow, 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 wow. I am very envious. I took a history of Cuba class in college. And since then, I've been like, I want to go. Um, and think, Steve, has there been any specific like out of the way national park that you've had a chance to go to or do you have like a bucket list item you want to check off i've been to an alaska and a hawaii uh when i did the alaskan cruise we you go um up to glacier bay and you like do a little like you pull a your your cruise ship pulls a yui uh in front of the giant glacier so you don't really get to go into the park but you get to see the big glacier um so if cruises ever happen again, that's one way to see a glacier. But yeah, you don't really get to see any of the, um, you don't get to do anything besides kind of see it from the boat. And then I went to Mauna Loa in sixth grade um, with a, a, it was called People to People Student Ambassadors. It was a privileged teenage learning vacation. Um, sure where you didn't have to learn if you didn't want to. And boy, oh boy, did I not want to. Uh, but We've I know we did go to Mauna Loa. <laughs> yes, we went to Mauna Loa at night um, to look at the stars. And that is a that whole trip is a situation. I went a few years later to New Zealand and Australia, and same thing there. Both of those trips, I've kept the itineraries just as a reminder of like, you're a fucking idiot for not caring about this enough when you were there when you were younger. Like, you dumb, stupid, all these things. Like, I'm going through the itinerary of all the things I did that they took us to that we did in Hawaii and and how everybody in my group was just like, we want to go back and swim. Uh, <laughs> we, we went to a school where we were supposed to sing... Like they were gonna sing to us a traditional Hawaiian uh, song, and then we were gonna sing to them like a traditional, like I guess mainland song or like our traditional continental American song. God um, bless the USA by Lee Greenwood. You know, I will tell you, I suggested God bless the USA. Um, <laughs> Others that got thrown about were Yankee Doodle Dandy, regular Yankee Doodle. What's crazy is like. Hawaii is still America. Like, Hawaiian yes! kids know Yankee Doodle. It's so, a state! So, but, but I mean, like, that was the, that's the trouble, though, is, like, you can go to Hawaii, and they have uh, all of the, they have, like, a rich Polynesian history. They can sing you a song you've never heard before. When you've got sure. 18 kids from Michigan, we're just like, um, honk, honk, rattle, 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 crash, beep, beep. <laughs> No, we did always be my baby by Mariah Carey. No. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of regrets to this trip. I really want to do that with Australia also because that we were a bunch of 16 and 17 year olds and if ever there's a group of American people of a certain age that it is just a waste to let travel or do nice things or like like stay in these really nice churches and sacred lands. It's teenage Americans. What a yeah. fucking waste. Like, yeah. oh my God. Listen, well, I know I it's say, too late yeah. to add a measure or anything to the ballots, but 
could we, for the next election, propose something where it's like, you are not allowed to travel in a group unless you are 19 or older. Yeah, no nice Just, things for No the nice youth. things for well, nice things for I, I agree. Um, okay, so we get to Teddy Roosevelt, right? And so he is the one who establishes nine new, no, five new parks, five new parks and 18 national monuments and then 51 bird sanctuaries. And he's the one that kind of like kicks it off. Uh, but then it isn't until Woodrow Wilson that we actually get the NPS. So we've mentioned this a little bit already, but Brendan, you want to talk a little bit about what the NPS does? So the National Park uh, Service administers the national parks. And uh, I think it's important whenever you talk about the park system to say that the national parks aren't the only management under the Department of the Interior that manages all of our public lands. So we have the national park system, we have the national forest system, we have national monuments, national seashores, and we also have land that is just under the jurisdiction of the Bureau of Land Management. And uh, BLM land, just a little note, you can camp on it anytime you want for free anywhere. So if you're driving across the country and you hit BLM land, you can just like set up shop and stay there for the night. And um, yeah, the National Park Service is great and the park rangers are amazing. And that's sort of... uh, the groups that this is my dog just coming in to say hi the groups that kind of like manage the public land hi goober say hi we're only on audio but they can see your face you look very pretty hi do you want to manage the public lands (laughs) yes you do do you end up seeing a lot of folks with their pets at the national parks because yeah, I think um, it kind of goes uh, in local stuff or state parks i tend to see people because it's more likely to be sort of a day trip but anywhere else, it, it all. I really this is a seen. good question because there's a lot of parks that allow pets into campsites, not on the trails. So it all it, like really depends. So uh, people, I think, think like they're not allowed, but actually, it just totally varies from park to park because each park has a superintendent, and that superintendent kind of sets the tone for the whole park. And I think people would be surprised how different different parks are in terms of their development and how kind of what the deal is, you know, for example, Yosemite, I always joke, it's kind of like Disneyland as a park because there's this circle um, in the Valley where there's like a pizza shop and a sports bar and an Ansel Adams photography studio. And then like painted desert, uh, devil's tower, um, badlands, death Valley, like, you come in, there's a, there's a park ranger to check your badge. There's one place in the middle with like gas and the one lodge. And then otherwise you're just on your own, like, good luck, don't die. And I'll say that, um, yeah, go ahead. And we were in Glacier uh, fairly recently and the ruggedness of Glacier was just way more primitive than Yellowstone. And the vibe there, like, you get a little bit off the beaten path and you're kind of on your own. And we were in a national forest trail and we got lost. Like we were lost for six hours and didn't see anyone. I thought we were going to have a, you know, we were going to be into the wild situation, which I'd never had happen. I feel like I'm a very safe and very good hiker, you know, very experienced. But uh, when you're in a more rugged, less peopled place, like stuff can go very weird, very quickly. Yeah. Oof. That's scary. Well, you know what you could do in any of those rugged places is you and your dog could enroll to be uh, bark ranger ambassadors 
Um, a bark ranger volunteer provides visitors with information about the park, highlights pet policies and pet safety, and helps protect the resources. Um, I did not know about that, but I will say that, you know, every campsite has sort of an in-residence, um, I forget what they call them, but, you know, sort of camp mom and dad, basically, and they usually have a dog, and they're kind of, their their job mostly is to tell, like, teens not to drink after dark, <laughs> you know, but uh, they are, they are, like, very cool, and almost all of them have dogs, even in parks where dogs aren't allowed on trails. Don't I'm gonna assume don't that drink is- more like narc rangers. <laughs> Boo. Boo, I say. Um, I'm gonna assume that the park rangers are different from junior rangers, which is uh a thing where if you've got kids or your families, you can I think that there's typically like in any visitor center, there's like a some kind of time where a park ranger can talk to the kids about what the park is like. Uh, an adult friend of mine did not realize that this was meant for kids, ended up completing it and like became a junior ranger, got like the little merit badge for Yosemite without realizing in the two hours that it was meant for children. Um, so to this the, day, the junior ranger like- program is so cool and they have like stamps and badges and things and, I follow all the national parks on Instagram, which I highly recommend as well as the park service. And they'll always have like Ashley 11 collected all 300 badges in the whole park this year. And she's special, you know, and I have to get like, I can't talk about the parks without giving a shout out to the park rangers. Cause I think they are like the greatest public servants in America. Like they really do have to just sit there and answer all your questions until you're burnt out and then they do it for another person and another person. And the fact that they are doing that while also trying to enforce mask wearing in areas of the country where that's just not taken as seriously right now. I think like thank them for their service. If you end up in a park, you know, before this is all over or after. Absolutely. Uh, And yeah, just the fact that even under the, the quote before times, just the amount of stuff that they may have to deal with, in any given year, like the number of people out there that are just sloppy and will throw their trash around wherever, or that kid with the backpack who won't stop blaring his damn music. Old man yells at cloud pit gif, uh, and so on and so forth. Please thank your local park ranger when you see them the next time you're inside one of these parks. So we, then we kind of get into the later years because once the parks get going, then becomes the fight for what's going to be a park and what's not going to be a park. Um, Grand Canyon, there was apparently a big kerfuffle on making that a park. Same with the Great Smoky Mountains, Shenandoah, Mammoth Cave, Glacier Bay, Carlsbad Caverns, Death Valley, all these places that we now just kind of think of as national parks. Like There was a bit of a scuffle in making them parks you know i read something recently uh, it's a book i think it was in this book called this land and it's kind of about the blm history and the author was saying that basically every single park has faced local opposition because basically what you're saying is like hey you know the national government's going to take over this and they're going to be the ones that handle profit yeah. so uh and this is why like I I personally think states' rights generally is bullshit and just, like, results in rich CEOs being able to capture political power uh, because that tends to be how it goes. And I am very thrilled that, you know, California has some progressive things other states don't have. 
but you know by the same token it's sort of outrageous like what montana and wyoming uh governors have gotten away with uh with our natural resources you know and uh i i think that of all the national parks smoky mountains is one of the most interesting because like as you guys probably know dollywood is right there yes and so when you go to the smoky mountains you drive through pigeon forge which is where dollywood is and it is basically like imagine vegas mixed with like a beach boardwalk but everything is like redneck and like log cabin themed like animatronic bears kind of shit and it's so lit up and so many tourist attractions and then you reach the end of Pigeon Forge and you're on National Parkland and it's dark because there's no development there, right? And then the other side of the Smoky Mountains is Cherokee, North Carolina, which is on a Native American reservation. And so to me, that is like the most American drive that you can take uh, to kind of experience how we like process how land should be used. And I love Pigeon Forge. Like I think it's really cool and beautiful and I love kitsch. Uh, but to see kitsch butted up against natural beauty and uh in that way is so interesting and you know people like national parks historians always talk about part of the reason national parks kicked off so strongly by the 19 teens and 20s is that's when the niagara falls became so developed because they didn't make it a national park uh ever or in time to stop casinos and just i mean I like going to, to Niagara Falls because the falls are beautiful and the go over in a barrel kitsch is sort of amazing, but you can't argue that they haven't, you know, functionally destroyed or at least fundamentally altered the beauty right. of what's there. And so looking at the Niagara Falls, it's really easy to see a version of the Grand Canyon or Yellowstone that looks like that. Yes. And that would be fucking tragic. And so we kind of had to lose something beautiful as a country to like even think of the idea that maybe these things are worth saving, you know? Yes, absolutely. I think, you know, you don't know what you got till it's gone. Hey, paradise, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Uh, there's, you know, uh, <laughs> these, these places you gotta, you gotta take nothing but pictures and leave nothing but footprints. Very true. And don't step on the reef. Well, that applies specifically to the Hawaiian parks where <laughs> there's a few areas. There was, okay, what is it? It Oh, I'm forgetting the name. It is on Oahu. There is a bay. I am so sorry that I am forgetting the name, but because it is, I think, government run and not just like the state of Hawaii run, they make you watch this quick video before you can even go to the beach. And the whole video is just a uh, picture, you know, video of the ocean. And there is like that little bouncy ball sing along. And the song is like, don't step on the reef. Don't step on the reef. I, I don't th I think live here. <laughs> honestly, I think I wouldn't I wouldn't be opposed to all places that have something like that. Like maybe there'd still be a great barrier reef if there were videos that were like, yeah. don't trash the environment. Yeah, it's a, yeah. If, if there should be that, there should be. You know what? I'm pitching this for. Uh, listen, NPS. I know you're listening to our little podcast, and boy, do I have a pitch for you. Videos for every time you go into a major part, for example, a big, well-known hike or some area of the Grand Canyon that is well known. You had to make everybody sit 
and watch a little information video that's like, don't pick up the rocks or don't throw tree branches at the people or beware of the bison. They will gore you and so on and so forth. Because I, I think people don't think about this stuff. They think, oh, I'm here. I'm human. I'm somehow conquering nature. Yeah, I think I'm at a park. Weird. It's yeah. like Disneyland or Universal. Yeah. Somebody will step in if yeah. I do something uncouth. Exactly. And to his point about the kitsch of it all, as somebody who loves kitsch, like there is a safety in that stuff. Uh, in going to places like that. But then you have to remind yourself, hey, when I go to these parks, I am in this territory. This is their land. I am the guest. Yeah. Uh, and we just don't think, I don't know how many people think about it that way. Uh, I assume Brandon thinks about it that way a lot. And I know Steve thinks about it that way. And I think about it that way. But I wonder how many other people think about it that way. Just the three of us. It's a, sh- it's a real fucking shame. <laughs> What's the, um, what's the worst park behavior that you've seen? Oh God. Well, before we get off the video topic, I just have to say, uh, so in Yellowstone and Glacier at any Northwestern park, they make you watch a video on how to use bear spray. And, okay. you know, my wife had never seen a bear before. And she was like, I'll wait in the car. You watch the video. And I said, well, you know, we might see a bear. She's like, no, we won't. And I, she did not watch the video, and we saw a bear like immediately after we went on our first trail. So always watch the bear video. Um, I've seen probably a dozen black bear in the various parks. I've never seen a grizzly. I don't really want to because they are a little more aggressive than black bears. But yeah. um, and uh, gosh, worst park behavior. I mean, we uh, were in Glacier during the pandemic. Uh, we did sort of a stay and camp our way around to take a week off. And uh, I saw a lot of um, not wearing masks. So that was, you know, set that aside. Uh, the worst park behavior, you know, for, for me, it is, hmm. I mean, it's like kid, kids do vandalize stuff. I mean, that's probably the thing that I find to be like most disappointing. Like we were in Antelope Valley, which is a state park and it's like the orange poppies, which everyone does Instagram photos. And somebody's mm-hmm. laying down in the poppies. And I was like, how do you, what, what are you thinking? And so it's always like hanging off of Joshua tree, pulling a piece off of a cactus, like literally destroying the thing that we're all there to look at, I think is the thing that always blows my mind. Uh, etching, you know, BG heart CD in the, you know, in the tree, that sort of shit. Just because like being rude, like being loud, listening to music or whatever. Yeah, I get it. You're in your own world. And, in littering, I even get because we're just, we all do it, you know, but the like taking of a thing or destroying a thing in a park just blows my mind. Yeah. yeah. They- at, uh, there's um, at Devil's Tower, there are um, like uh, scarves and pieces of fabric, bandanas and stuff uh, that are tied around trees all over. They're uh, Native American prayer cloths. Um, and that's kind of the opposite where like there's signs. And if you look it up, it says, do not remove the prayer cloths because people still go and and tie new ones today. And so they're all over the place. And it does kind of feel like, oh, man, there's like, what's what's this? It feels like uh, the one time where it's like, OK, yes, these people can do this because it is their sacred land and right. Everybody else get up. No. No, thing. you don't get to. Um, yeah. yeah. That's so uh, cool. Yeah, Devil's Tower, 
for how small it is of a park, it's really amazing just because the view of the tower is sort of the star, yeah. but you see it from a different vantage. Every we, we just did like the trail where you just go in the circle around it. Yeah. But like, you know, every, every 10 minutes you just look back. Oh shit. The tower looks even cooler from this vantage point, you know? Yeah. And then you turn around and you're high up enough where you've got a great look of like the black Hills and, and Very then you underrated. leave and like, you've got like two hours before you reach any sort of civilization. <laughs> and it's like, oh, man, should have packed a sandwich. That's my number park. one for state or for national park oh, yeah. visiting. Pack a sandwich. Yeah, that's true. And the food is generally terrible at the national parks. You know, uh, I will say the lo- if there's a nice lodge, here's a little pro tip. Uh, even if you're not staying at the lodge, there's probably a reservation open for lunch and you can have, instead of eating like the 10th burger you've had, cause when you, from like Des Moines to like Salt Lake city, all there is is burgers yep. to eat anywhere. Uh, but the, the lodges will have, you know, you just, one of these fancy dining rooms and you're like, Oh, you know, I just did a 10 mile hike. I'll have like a, a burrata and peach <laughs> salad for lunch, you know, or whatever. Nice. I like that. That's a good hack. Uh, Oh, yeah. What are some other good hacks? I feel like put an extra blanket in the car because you just don't know. Even if it's very, very hot outside, you don't know. You don't know where you're going to suddenly decide, hey, let's do a picnic at this spot or what have you. Just have extra cloth. I always bring uh, a roll of toilet paper and a flashlight, no matter what time of day. I'm going out because, Mm -hmm. you know, even if you're going at 10 a.m., there's always a chance you're out after sunset and you don't want to, flashlights are light and worth carrying. Um, I also, this brings up a a funny story, which is uh, when Claire and I first started dating, uh, my parents sent me a birthday present and I had uh, asked them to get me a shovel, uh, an axe, and a tarp for under my tent. And so that came... (laughs) in the mail and she was like hey babe um are you gonna murder me i said not no not today um what's with your serial killer subscription box coming (laughs) in the mail why do you have this and another great hack um this is one i learned fairly recently in the last few years doritos are like the best fire starter if you don't have like lighter fluid and they will burn up especially because like in the desert when it's windy it's tough to start fires out here and obviously because they want you to not start fires a lot of the year. Um, and Doritos like really will help your fire get going. So bag of Doritos. A full, like a full bag of Doritos or like an empty Doritos bag? Uh, oh, just like, uh, you know, in your little log cabin sticks, throw yes. five or six Doritos, the, the Doritos oh, themselves. Oh, the actual chips. The, the chips. Yes. What were oh, you my, thinking? In my head, it was like a full bag for no, some that reason. Shit, oh, like you put that an shit entire is bag. Yeah, and that's what I was, I was going to be like, are are we sure? I thought the <laughs> No, bags... like I'm saying, I'm saying like okay, two actual chips. chips. Two, yes. two actual chips is as okay. good as lighter fluid, which is okay. like, why am I putting this in my body as a teenager, yeah. you know? But... <laughs> I could not believe yeah, because my as buddy a, told me and I was like, oh my. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Lifehacker.com. Like, cool. Use Doritos to start a fire. <sighs> Man, left eye didn't even need to put sneakers in that guy's bathtub. <laughs> That's um, such a deep cut. That's <laughs> where my mind went. What started a fire? Shoes. Left eye started a fire. <laughs> 
Um, uh, in thinking about all the other parts, so basically it's like we get to the tens of twenties and then the thirties to the seventies is just like a boom of parks. It's like we get Blue Ridge, we get uh, uh, a, a ton of other like various dams and shorelines, the Appalachian trails and mountains, um, a, a, a ton more displacement, which is not necessarily very cool at all, but uh then we and denali and zaya no zion came earlier than that but what this all boils down to is we're really not adding as much as we used to do we feel like we should be adding more national parks or do we feel like we've got a good number so to speak and we need to just continue to preserve this land uh i am bullish on adding more just because I want the land to be kind of preserved, you know, but at yes. the same time, uh, I do, I am sympathetic to the argument that like, if you've not been to a national park before, you want to be fucking wowed when you go. And so like, I get the idea that Grand Canyon, Yellowstone, like that's what a national park is. And then state parks or national forests are beautiful, but they're not going to like knock your socks off if you've never been out in wilderness before. So I, to me, it's kind of a, I guess there's a balance there, but I think there are certainly a number of other things in Amer areas in America that could be national parks. Like I think that, um, you know, the black Hills in South Dakota, I do think a big chunk of that should be become a national park. Uh, I would like to see some of the state parks, kind of between uh, like around Big Sur and Redwoods. Like, I, yeah, I think that's what I was going to say is it's like Big Sur is a state park, but I would like to see that become a national park because one, I think it would, I mean, hopefully, fingers crossed, it would it would serve as, as better protection against uh, forest fires and that kind of thing if you've got just more people and eyeballs over there. And two, uh, the fact of the matter is it's a very difficult area to reach, but it is also an area much like you know those jackson hole lodges that i was at like either you can find a spot to camp pretty cheaply or it can be like 800 900 to stay within it or you need to be staying in monterey or in san simi like you need to be on either side of it and driving into it which then would create air pollution etc so i don't i don't have a straight answer there but i do feel like big sur is one area where i go oh yeah why isn't that a national park. Same with the, uh, some not Jersey, like Cape, Cape May or something like that. Like there's certain parts of the Atlantic seaboard that I go, I, that could be like a little baby park. Right. Right. It's like also commercialized, like the outer banks of North Carolina and all those areas. And you feel like there could be more. Cause I know like Hatteras mm -hmm. and, um, Assateague Island are, I don't know if they're parks or national seashores, I always forget, but they're protected land. And then like 10 feet over, there's a mini golf course. And so you feel like there could be a better way. Uh, <laughs> when I, when I went to Cuba, I went to the museum of the revolution and they had the principles of the revolution. And like number six was all beaches are owned by the people and they can't be privately owned. And I was like, that is actually a pretty sick uh, approach to the coast. Cause here in LA, it's like you go for a walk on the beach and some person just screams at you out of their beach house that you're on their property and i'm like well the, the fish is property we've mentioned jackson wyoming a couple times and i want to say it is an abomination to god it's basically if beverly hills was airlifted uh and then added to like log cabins under the grand tetons and it is just the most it's like a sushi restaurant 
a soul cycle. It is just fucking disgusting. And it made me so angry. Because <laughs> if you if you can't stay in the Grand Tetons and you're coming down through Yellowstone, you have to drive all the way through Jackson into Idaho to stay anywhere that's even affordable. So we stayed on a, a beautiful farm, but it was in fucking southern Idaho and we had driven from Montana that day. So it added like three hours to our drive because like Jackson, Wyoming is a hellhole. I think it's the wealthiest zip code in America. Maybe it, it flip-flops with Beverly Hills regularly and basically any tax dodger. I know the Texas wants all the tax dodgers, but they all, you know, they all move to Jackson and pretend they're ranchers after they like, you know, sell Suicide Squad 2 or whatever. It's very frustrating because it's this thing where all I want to do is stay either in Yellowstone or be like right outside of Yellowstone so it's not a super far drive and it's endlessly frustrating that somebody figured out I know what if we built a ritzy town right outside of this thing people go visit all the time and I'm like it's not even a good ritzy town yeah stay in Bozeman because it's like super hip and cool on the north side or there's like a bunch of little towns that are just outside the park entrances like one I recommend is called Silvergate and it's just like it's maybe like two lodges and a restaurant but one of the restaurants just said trout on it and literally all they did was you just go in and you get like a $20 trout and it is the best trout you've ever had and they cook it until they're out of trout and they just close so that may be closed yes. at like 5 30 you know uh but yeah. we stayed at a lodge that it was basically like a summer camp lodge they converted into a hotel and Ernest Hemingway stayed there which by the way Anytime you're in nature anywhere, they have a picture of Ernest Hemingway on the wall and say he stayed there. And it's never, it's either not, not true or it's like, yeah, like he went on a bender here once and then he like went on to have a bender somewhere else the next night, but it's not yeah. like special. Man, busy guy. It's like J.K. Rowling writing Harry Potter. Like, man, everywhere apparently. <laughs> man, they, they just happen to be everywhere. And what's worse is there's all these different eras of Hemingway's life. So in Cuba... It's like, you know, he told the bartender at La Bogadita to make the daiquiri this way. So there's a gold statue of him at the bar in his old seat. And then you fucking go to Paris and they're like, oh, well, you know, he wrote Movable Feast here. And I'm like, I'm just, you get so sick of it. Yeah. You know what? That's why I prefer my celebrities to be like Jessica Simpson. One restaurant, (laughs) Mexicali, one drink, the Jessica Simpson margarita, done. You left your imprint done what national park do we think jessica simpson has been to and enjoyed great smokies for sure yeah yes yeah yeah Yeah. okay that was easy anyway uh so are there any on your bucket lists everybody here that you're like i really 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 want to go because i know i've mentioned wyoming and yellowstone i obviously really want to go there but i also really want to go to acadia in maine which uh is a bunch of coastal islands and it features the tallest mountain on the atlantic coast and uh, beautiful lakes and shorelines. And it seems small, but steady. Like, ooh, like the, re- like the right little baby park to visit compared to a Yosemite a, or a, a Yellowstone. A couple things about Acadia that make it remarkable. Uh, Bar Harbor is basically on Acadia. Acadia is an island, and then Bar Harbor, the city or town, is not a part of Acadia, but you go to it. That's where Stephen King is from, so you can do all the Stephen King stuff. Um, you will see a moose in Acadia and moose to, to me along with bison are just the most magnificent 
creatures in the world. You know, they they weigh a ton, literally, and they are just so fucking big. And you will see moose in Acadia. And in that area of Maine, lobster is like the price of a burger in the rest of the country. So you just get like, you just pull up to some fucking diner and they're like, oh, lobster, $7, you know? And uh, I took a trip in college from, I went to University of Pittsburgh and we did spring break up through Montreal, down to Nova Scotia, Prince Edward Island, and then back through Acadia. And that was just fucking, and then Vermont and seeing like the foliage, that was amazing. So Acadia is amazing. For me, my lower 48 bucket list has got to be the Everglades. We plan, like we were going to go this year, like maybe like Thanksgiving or something. And then with core, like I'm not flying into Miami airport during this, like that feels no, like. No, I flew into Miami airport last year and it was already hell. It's huge. That is a massive airport. You will get lost. You will have a, another six hour hike in that airport, trying to find but, your rental car as I did. I want to do the gators and the fan boat. And that like, that is for me, the, the trip that's on the bucket list for sure. I, if you ever get to do that, I also recommend, but not for long, the keys. I think that the keys are fun for like a couple of days. And another spot where Ernest Hemingway had a house and a bunch of cats and fucked around and made a drink here and passed out here and whatnot. And there's a lot of that going on. Is the Dry Tortugas Park in the Keys or is that another island? I think it's in the Keys. Um, and it's a weird drive because it's just the one road and it's super skinny and on either side of you, it's just all this water and it's wild to drive basically, you know, this long, teeny, tiny, skinny island to get to the southernmost. Um, and when I went, I did not stay, uh, I think where most people think of when they think of the Keys, I stayed in, um, the, one of the bigger Largo, I think Key Largo, not the Key Keys, uh, the southernmost point but i went to the southernmost point and it was just a interesting experience to just be like oh here i am out in the middle of nowhere at the southernmost point of the u.s um but it's a it's a fun little excursion if you are like i'm gonna go to florida and i'm already flying into miami awesome um Steve, what is one of your biggies? My number one is an island north of the Upper Peninsula in Michigan. A lot of people don't know we have an Upper Peninsula. And then on top of that, a very large uh, Great Lake. And at the near the top of that, pretty close to Canada, is Isle Royale, which is a national park. It can only be reached by ferry, which um, it's about a three-hour trip. Lake Superior is so... Um, is so notoriously choppy and unpleasant. Um, as you may know from the uh, the song about the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald by, um, uh, uh, what are they called? Simon and Garfunkel. Um, the boat, the ferry that takes you there has been nicknamed the Barf Barge or the Chuck yes. Wagon. Uh, but it's just, there, it's very, it's very minimal. There's barely anything there. Um, and it's just always, I did a project on it in fourth grade, thought that barf barge was funny and I got to say barf barge in front of the class. And ever since then, I O Royals just been on my list. Say my list too. Everyone I've talked to that's been to upper peninsula says it's just magnificent. I also want to do a trip to the Virgin Islands, which I didn't realize until this podcast app is a national park. It's an island park. There's an island park on St. John 
Uh, and there's a ton of archaeological sites and the ruins of sugar plantations, as well as all the other natural beauty, uh, pristine beaches, mangrove forests, coral reefs, which I won't step on because I saw the video. So I'm not going <laughs> to. I learned. I learned. Don't step on the reef. Are there any others where you're like, this is one people don't know, but it's on my bucket list now for whatever reason? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, my buddy just went to um, the Black Canyon of the Gunnison, which is in western Colorado. So people kind of miss it between Rocky Mountains and Zion. And he said it was really awesome. Uh, and one that I've actually been to that just kind of we passed by chance during the Yellowstone trip, Wind Cave is just, an, you know, under one of those big caves like Carlsbad Caverns. But I feel like people don't really hit it that often. And I really recommend it. That was really, really fun. And uh, I've not been to the hot springs in Arkansas, but my wife went for her bachelorette party. And like, it's sort of mix of national park and like historic buildings when people used to go to the springs to, you know, they thought it would like cure their cancer or their like insanity, you know? Mm -hmm. So a lot of that shit is like still there. So that's sort of a hybrid museum experience, park experience. And she said it was awesome. So those are some under the radar parks. Any under the radar parks for you, Steve, either that you've been to or that you want to go to? Um, I've, I mean, not really. Um, I feel like just looking at lists, I, I, I'm slowly realizing how many of these places my dad took us to on these trips that again, as a teenager, you don't care about. And then it's like, Oh, I have been to Glacier. Oh, I have been to Badlands. I was miserable. My dad yelled at me. Um, Oh, I have been to yell at like just all these places that like as a 16 year old who just wants to be home because it's summer, you don't care. And then you look back and it's like, man, I have been to Yellowstone. And I vividly remember how mad I was that we were stopping for the day and not continuing on our drive. Um, so mostly just revisit the ones I, I, I was such a dick about. I will say I would like to revisit all the ones we went to when I was a child because my parents uh, were in such a dysfunctional marriage that neither of those trips was fun. It was not fun to be in Yosemite. It was not fun to go to the Grand Canyon. Like, like when we were hiking and actively doing the thing in nature, it was fine. And then it would be immediately followed by my mother screaming that a squirrel had entered the cabin and then trying to beat it with a broom. Like, it was not... Uh, <laughs> It was, or her being like, how come this place in Utah doesn't have alcohol? Uh, there's just like a lot of moments where I go, I should redo this. Um, so yeah, just know that as an adult, everybody, you have that, you have that opportunity. If you have the means, I say, go, go, go forth, go into the parks. Brendan, are there any like parting words or anything that you'd want to tell somebody who maybe either hasn't gone camping, hasn't done national parks, maybe went as a kid and they were like, I hate this because their family sucked? Well, you know, there's the John Muir quote, uh, the mountains are calling and I must go. So if you hear the call, you got to go. Um, no, look, you know, I think that people have bad experiences when they're kids because their parents make them do it on their terms. And you can do the national parks on your terms. And that may be going to the nearest city and staying in like a boutique hotel and then driving in for the day, you know, and like a lot of parks can have that experience. And so just because you had one experience that like wasn't your vibe, 
uh, doesn't mean you're not going to have a great experience next time. And, you know, you don't feel like you have to do something that's not your comfort level. Cause I think that the point of the parks is that there's something for everyone to enjoy. And if like your thing is like, go Instagram a couple posts and then go like sit in, you know, in a hot tub or like drink some wine or something. I think that's a totally valid way to experience the parks. And if you want to ramp up to a 10 mile hike or backcountry camping or something, after you do that, you know, there's a lot of resources online people want to help, you know, and I think you brought it up earlier about like, what's the bad behavior that I've seen in parks. It's like, yeah, I can complain. But a lot of times I think experienced parkours like myself and park rangers are like, well, maybe it's out of ignorance for how to be in these spaces. And, you know, they made the trip to come here and they're upset because they have the wrong shoes or whatever. But, you know, we can maybe say like, hey, next time you might want to try this trail or you might want to have better shoes or you might want to bring some food or what have you. So if you're feeling it, take the step and you'll be surprised how helpful people are. Because I think that generally people want you to enjoy it, especially if they enjoy it. And so, you know, take the risk and try it. And I, I think you won't regret it. I couldn't have said it better. Uh, Brandon, thank you so much for coming on. Why do you know that? <laughs> Thank you. It was such a pleasure. And uh, now I have to listen and learn about some things I don't know anything about. Oh, um, we have well, if you want to listen to something, um, <laughs> I said that Simon Garfunkel sang The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. That song is sung by Gordon Lightfoot. <laughs> it's an easy mistake, though. I would never want anyone, I, I would never want to lead anyone astray with, with that <laughs> ignorance. <laughs> Oh, Brendan, uh, uh, is there anything that you'd like to plug at this time? Well, you know, as you mentioned at the top, uh, I, I am on staff on Warrior Nun on Netflix. Season one came out this summer. We're going to be shooting season two next year. So look out for that. I'm at Brendan Gallagher on Twitter, where I talk about TV, film, socialism, and national parks, pretty much, uh, and memes. So you can follow me there. I'd love to uh, say hi. And um, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. So uh, follow me there and uh, watch the show I'm working on. And go outside if you can, people. Yeah, get out, get out there, get out in nature. It's so great. Get out in nature. If you can't go to the national park website where they can show you virtual tours of all the national parks, and you can just light a pine candle while you watch a virtual tour. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Get a get a thing of like broader bar soap sort of thing and uh, get some Doritos and light a fire in the backyard. And you guys are going to have a grand old time. Yeah. Light some Doritos on fire. Put on a YouTube video of Yellowstone. Listen to some Simon Garfunkel and enjoy your... And just vibe, you know? And vibe. Just vibe. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, tell everyone you know every way you know how. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review, and be sure to go back and listen to our older episodes if you missed them. We talked about some weird stuff. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at Why Do You Know That Pod or on Twitter at Why Do You Know Pod. They're different. And if you've got questions, comments, concerns, whatever, be sure to email us at Why Do You Know That Pod at gmail.com. Let's do this again sometime. Uh-huh.